A lot of talk this week, Bobby, about playing for ties, taking meals, not going for the win. Well, that's one thing you never have to worry about with Chatter Up. We never take a knee. We always go for it. We give you our best content, everything we've got. That no, that is no different this week. We're giving it to all, we're giving it all to you this week. We'll talk the NC, the college football championship game, Georgia getting the monkey off their back, beating Alabama, the insanity absolute chaos that was Raiders versus Chiefs to determine the playoff spot, the last playoff spot in the AFC. We'll talk about the rest of the AFC playoff picture, the NFC playoff picture, the matchups we're most excited to watch, the coaching carousel, Black Mondays, it continues with Joe Judge getting fired like 10 seconds before we recorded this, Clay Thompson's return, and we'll finish it off, Bobby, talking about, in honor of Brandon Staley, the worst coaching decisions of the last 20 years. One great decision that you could make is continuing to listen to Chatter Up because we're not going to disappoint you with this episode. I mean, listen, it, it, you, you said it. It's, it's the best decision you can make. There's a lot of wrong things you can do in life. This is one of the best ones you can do. Hit us up on Twitter or on Instagram at chatter underscore up. Hit us up with an email at chatteruppodcast at gmail.com. Tell us to talk about anything. So far, we've gotten a couple suggestions. Some people want us to talk about curling. I'm already mm. starting to do my research for this. I am ready. Uh, anything you want us to talk about, we will put it on the air. But it is time for us to begin. Jared, how ready are you to go for it on 4th and 1? As ready as Brandon Staley was to go for it from his own 18-yard line. Yeah, we're going to get into that one. That should be fun. Then let's do this, Jared, and let's chatter up. Jared, do you like money? That's a tough question to answer, but I'll I'll say yes. Yeah, you like money? I like it. Yeah, me too. Me too. And if you were somebody Mm -hmm. who decided, hey, Alabama isn't going to win the championship and you Mm -hmm. decided to bet on what I personally felt was an underdog that you had a pretty (laughs) profitable night uh, last night. It kind of, kind of a big deal. No, indeed you did Bobby probably made up pretty well. There's so much to talk about for this past week, but I think we have to start there. College football championship, man. Big day. Yeah, Georgia beats Alabama to finally win their first national championship in 40 years, Bobby. This was like, it's kind of a weird thing because it's like Georgia was technically the favorite, right? Vegas had them as the favorite, but they're the lower seed in the college football playoff and it's Alabama, right? Like we always think of Alabama as this Goliath, this, you know, the, the, the cream of the crop. So I don't know, what were you, what were you thinking kind of, going into the game, watching the game. Did you think of Georgia as a legitimate favorite going in? Are you surprised by the result or, or the way that it happened? Honestly, I'm pretty surprised across the board. Um, I was surprised that, you know, if you are a sports gambler, the betting line was for Georgia. Georgia was at minus two and a half. Uh, And if you paid attention at all to the SEC championship, when this game already happened a couple of weeks ago, it was (laughs) Alabama, Georgia, Alabama wiped the floor with them. Yeah. So it was very confusing to see that line. Um, and then you go into halftime and there were no touchdown scores, right? And you, yep. you get a nine to six game and it's weird, right? Cause you're talking about the Heisman trophy winner here. Like he, he should be able to punch it in Bryce young. Nonetheless, they're up nine, six. And you're like, this is going to be a defensive minded game. And also Georgia wasn't moving the ball at yep. all. And then to go from nine to six at halftime to Georgia finishing with 33 points is just a wild turn of events. You know, Stetson Bennett goes for two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. He lights it up. Granted, Alabama missing their two top wide receivers, Williams and Mechie. So, you know, there's a lot of things in play here, but ultimately Georgia's defense stepped up. They got to Bryce Young way more often than most other defenses had all year. And they got it done. They got it done when they needed to get it done. Hats off to the dogs who pulled off. I mean, the phrase is a monkey off their back. This is more like, a, you know, King Kong gorilla off their back. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of surprised. I'm with you. Because, like, it's always surprising to see 
Alabama as an underdog. It doesn't happen frequently, right? And like the circumstance you just mentioned, they just beat the same team. It's not like this game happened, you know, four months ago and we're talking about two different teams. We're talking about a championship, an SEC championship game that was, you know, about a month ago. Essentially, these are the same teams that they were. And then, yeah, Alabama, that first drive, they didn't score a touchdown, but they moved the ball pretty easily down the field. And then Georgia starts with two straight three and outs. And it's just like, how was Vegas so wrong on this? That Alabama clearly looks like the better team there. It looked like Georgia was just not ready for the big stage, a lot of penalties. And so, you know, they're kind of lucky to only be down three going into halftime. But I think probably they looked at it as we just played a pretty bad half. Our offense didn't do anything. Defense was good, but like so many penalties and we're only down three. We're like really, really in this game. And they were able to turn around the second half. And I mean, it, 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 it certainly was closer than the final score indicated. It was not a blowout in the way that, you know, cause this was with, with three minutes to go, this was still very much a game, mm-hmm. but yeah, major credit to Stetson Bennett, who for the first two and a half, maybe three full quarters looked like he did not belong out on the field with, with everybody else playing there and made the big throws when he needed to. And now Georgia's national champions. Yeah. And, and look also hats off to Kirby smart who yeah. worked with Saban for so long great win for him and the crazy thing is like Saban losing does absolutely nothing to his legacy yeah doesn't hurt it in the slightest he's considered one of the greatest ever and still is and he'll be back it's honestly it's a weird position for him because it's almost like winning or losing yep it doesn't matter for his legacy right like even if they if they had won do we feel different about him like he's probably the best college coach of all time no you know you can argue it either way if he won last night or the fact that he lost like it almost doesn't matter at this point no it doesn't it doesn't matter that he has almost like a 50 percent win percentage of college yeah. football championships in the last decade plus but hats off to georgia hell of a team definitely some first round picks there it'll be fun to see them in the nfl and speaking of the nfl jared it's over the regular season is over but it didn't end with a whimper. It ended with an explosion. All the playoff seeds were locked up going into Sunday night, other than the Chargers and the Raiders and the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, by the way, eked by the Ravens in overtime yeah. to put themselves in position because the Colts lost to Jacksonville just a wild week 18. But nonetheless, we go into Sunday night, winner gets into the playoffs. Loser goes home unless it's a tie. And man, did we have a Sunday night game. Jared, thoughts on the Chargers, the Raiders, the last second field goal in overtime with no time remaining, the timeout from Brandon Staley, Justin Herbert going forward on every fourth down imaginable. I mean, take this wherever you want, man. Yeah, there's... So much that you could talk about with this game. Undoubtedly, the most entertaining game of the season, maybe the most entertaining regular season game of like the last 30 years. It just was, I mean, it was crazy. The, the, the third and fourth quarter and the overtime. I mean, where, where do we go with this? Look, I mean, it's funny because we talked about it earlier in the season. I feel like the NFL went like Three, 75% on the primetime games in terms of like almost, I feel like three quarters of the primetime games were absolutely incredible this year. Like really, really entertaining games. There really weren't a lot of duds. This one obviously taking the cake. Let me ask you, Bobby, do you, I mean, you mentioned it, obviously the only way that both of these teams could have made the playoffs is a tie. And they knew that going into the game. Do you think like, do you think the NFL league office had to call either of these teams before the game and just be like, Hey, I don't know what you're planning, but like, you're not going to do this kneeling thing, right? Like we're not going to have to deal with that. Or was it just like, do you think they even had to make that call? They just knew like these teams are going to play. We don't have to worry about it. I'd like to believe that they thought that these teams were going to play. Um, I would hate to think the league office gets involved at all, even on something (laughs) as small as that. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to remain optimistic on that. I I am curious, though, about where you and I stand, you know, because because it's all built up to the last play. Right. So, yeah, the Chargers are on, you know, sorry, the the Raiders are on the Chargers 40 something. Mm -hmm. It's first and 10. There's about a minute and 40 left. They run the ball. They get stopped. Nothing. Nobody calls a timeout. Game still tied in overtime. They run the ball get a couple of yards. 
and then Brandon Staley calls a timeout. Yeah. If it's tied, remember, if it's like all Oakland, Oakland, wow, that's bringing it back. All Vegas has to do is kneel the ball and they guarantee themselves a playoff spot. They run the ball one more time and they get like 12. Becomes a 46, 47-yard field goal and they decide to kick it. Couple questions here. Number one. Do you think Brandon Staley should have called a timeout? I think I think I think I know where you're going with this. But secondly, would you have just kneeled the ball if you were the Raiders and just said, you know what? I can guarantee a playoff spot right now. I'm going to take it. Anything can happen with a field goal, even a blocked field goal. Okay, so starting from the top there, should he have called a timeout? Probably not. Now, after the game, he says, you know, I wanted to get my best run personnel out there. Obviously, that didn't work out because the next play they ran for, you know, whatever it was, close to 10 yards, really putting themselves in field goal range. But I do think more people, you know, everyone's talking about the timeout as if like that's the reason they they lost the game. And I, and I don't think that's true. I thought, and maybe we'll talk about this later, the fourth, going for it fourth and one at their own 18, the third quarter down mm-hmm. three points mm-hmm. was way way worse to me and like you know ultimately that i'm not saying that was the reason they lost but those three points are all the ultimate margin of defeat there so who knows what would have happened the second question should the raiders have kicked it i think you can go either way on this like the easy answer is no like just guarantee yourself a playoff spot don't take the chance of you know the kick being blocked and something crazy happening and you lose the game and you don't get in the playoffs but I understand if, and I don't know if this was their thinking, but if it was, I could understand them saying, okay, look, if we just take a knee, we're guaranteed to get into playoffs. We're playing Kansas city next week in Kansas city. Granted the chiefs are not the one seed, but I mean, you'd be hard pressed to think that they're not one of the favorites to come out of the conference. And they're certainly better than Oakland, especially at home. And if they kick the field goal, which is what happened and they make it, they play Cincinnati next week in Cincinnati, but that's a team. It's a young team. None of those guys have played in the NFL playoffs before, you know, none of their key guys. They all, it's, it's all the first big game. Who knows what you're going to get out of Cincinnati. And so 47 yards, you know, in order for, for the worst case scenario to happen, there is a, the kick gets blocked. And what are the chances of it getting blocked? Could it happen? Yes, but it's a small chance. And B, the kick has to be returned for a touchdown, right? So you need like both of those things to happen. If it was like a 55 yarder, would they have kicked it? Probably not. Cause then you're talking about like, you've got to kick it. And I'm going off of Madden here. Cause I'm not like a sure, kicker, course, but like, you know, the longer you kick it in Madden, like the more of a line drive, you have to make it right. Like the, I would right, think right, the longer right. the kick is the greater the chance that it's going to get blocked. Cause you can't put as much air on underneath it. Once you got to 47, I, I do understand the thinking. And again, I don't know if this is what it was, but if, if it was, Hey, Let's kick this because there's I, I'd rather take the chance of it gets blocked. But if we make it, we get to play Cincinnati as opposed to Kansas City. I, if that's what the thinking was, I can get behind that. I hear that. I don't disagree. Um, seating is not something I had considered, uh, you know, going on the road to face Mahomes in Kansas City on a team that is hotter than ever. Yeah, they lost to Cincinnati, but still. I, yeah, I, I don't want to face Mahomes Hill and Kelsey. Like, no matter what's happened this season, I'm just not interested in doing that. And Kansas City's defense has really been the anchor recently. So, like, it's not so great. Cincinnati can be just as good as Kansas City, but I also think their floor is a lot lower. Yeah. And so you could catch them on an off day, and I hear that. And, and, and yeah, it's probably true, right? Like, if they block it, how many times has it been returned? It happened to Washington that may have right. been it all year. Like, I, I'd, I'd have to go back and check. But – if you have the opportunity to play any other team other than Kansas city in the AFC on your road to the playoffs and through the playoffs, I think it's probably the right call. And it's not as if we needed to see this, to know this is the case, but Justin Herbert, it's funny. Cause like for, I would say two and a half quarters, I was watching that game thinking we're going to be talking about, you know, Justin Herbert, I'm not doubting his future, but he really didn't show me that much. Like they had 14 yep. points through two and a half, two and a half quarters. It's like, uh, you know, were we a little premature, crowning this guy as one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And then the last, you know, quarter and a half plus overtime, he just goes off, you know, and, and we, like I said, we didn't need to see it to know this guy is special, but what an, what a performance by Herbert, that two minute drive, that 19 play two minute drive. Mm -hmm. We talked about it earlier. It was just like fourth down after fourth down after fourth down. And they were not fourth and ones, fourth and twos. They were all like fourth and nines, fourth and tens, 
converting one after the other. And we are, we, I mean, the Chargers lost that game, Bobby, and they're not going to the playoffs. The Steelers are. But the big losers in all this is us. Because instead of getting to watch Justin Herbert in the playoffs next week, we have to watch freaking Ben Roethlisberger play. <laughs> I have no ill will towards the man overall. He is, he. I mean, looking at his career overall, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's probably one of the 25 best quarterbacks of all time. But right now, he is maybe the least entertaining quarterback in the league to watch it is just disgusting and now we have to watch a game that we essentially saw two weeks ago where the Chiefs won by a million points so let's let's transition Bobby into talking about the games that we're going to see this weekend as I just mentioned you've got Kansas City and Pittsburgh on the AFC side you've got Cincinnati and Vegas and you've got the Pats against the Bills which of those three games is the most juice to you I think it has to be for me Pats Bills yeah I think that has been a rivalry all year you had the Pats who were left for dead. What were they? Two and five, two and yeah, four, something like that. And just made a run all the way getting out to nine and five to the point where people are like, hmm, are they Super Bowl contenders? And then they kind of leveled out a little bit. But this game could go either way. It should be Buffalo's game to lose. Buffalo, to me, is the better team. They have the better players. It's, it's just, you know, Devin Singletary has looked better and better each week. Josh Allen is looking more like himself. They're getting guys back off the COVID list. Their defense has already been really good. And it's a question of like, you know, who can put up more points? Because I honestly think their defenses almost cancel each other out. I think they're both extraordinary. And I think I, 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 you'd be hard-pressed to convince me that Mac Jones is more likely to put up, you know, a 28-point game than Josh Allen. I just, and don't get me wrong, Mac Jones is, is, is a very good quarterback and has a bright future in this league. But for this week in this game in Buffalo, I'm taking Josh Allen. On the NFC side, Jared, we have three great matchups. We got Bucks Philly in Jalen Hurts' debut in the playoffs. We got Arizona in going to LA in an NFC West showdown. And we also have Dallas and San Francisco. Which of those matchups are you most looking forward to? Okay, I'll cheat a little bit here. I think the one nationally, which probably is like the biggest, you know, the sexiest appeal here. It's probably Arizona and the Rams. The Rams are, I mean, that's a team full of stars, right? Matthew Stafford finally getting back to the playoffs. We get to see what he's got in store. Arizona, who knows what the story is with Arizona, Bobby. A few weeks ago, we were talking about how, you know, they need to get more respect. They're one of the best teams in the NFC. They finished the season pretty weekly, right? They lose a few games in a row. They beat Dallas. Then last week, they lose to Seattle with a chance to move up in the standings. It just hasn't been the same team since DeAndre Hopkins went out. That being said, I think that game probably is what is the game that, you know, the most people are excited for the one for me though, I'm kind of more into Dallas and the Niners. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think those are just Mm -hmm. two teams that even though they are clearly not as good as the upper echelon, we'll we'll just say green Bay and, you know, green Bay and, and Tampa Bay, I would say the two bays are in, in a class of their of their own and everybody else is, is below them and you can rank them however you want. But I do think on any given day, I guess you could say that about all these teams, but I think more so with Dallas and San Francisco, like, I don't know, we've just seen those teams look so good at times, right? Dallas, we just saw it again. Granted, Washington stinks, but that was one of the best. I mean, that might've been the best performance of any team the entire year. They're loaded on offense. We know how many stars they have on defense. And San Francisco, I've been saying this all year. San Francisco, it's weird. I know Garoppolo's not that good. I know, like, it's a weird but they team. win. Yeah, they win, and we've seen them do it. But it's not that they were in the Super Bowl two years ago with a chance to beat the Chiefs. So do I expect Jimmy to lead them back there? No, but – and you're also talking about two, like, marquee franchises. That Dallas-San Francisco, yep. Yep. That's, a, that's a rivalry going back to, like, the glory days of the, you know, the late 80s and early 90s there. So I think that's going to be a fun one. We – we talk about winners, but there's also some losers that happened this week, Jared. And, and, and it's, I don't know, whatever. I'll leave it to you on this, but Brian Flores, Matt Nagy, Mike Zimmer, Vic Fangio, Joe Judge, all gone. Which of those is the most surprising to you of the vacancies? I mean, it's got to be Brian Flores, right? I think the other ones all were 
expected to some degree. Matt Nagy, we knew, I mean, for months or we essentially knew he was going to be out. Mike Zimmer, I think, look, that's just a case of, he's obviously, he's a good coach. He's a solid coach. They've had success there. I think that's just a case of they need a new voice in the locker room. And I think everyone kind of saw the writing on the wall the last few weeks with that. Vic Fangio, the same, I mean, not to the same degree. Look, he, he's, he's fine, I guess. But again, not a surprise with, with the way that Denver finished the year. Joe Judge, the probably, even though it was only two years, probably the least surprising of them all because of how much a disaster the Giants have been, particularly over the last month. Brian Flores, though, I mean, that's a team that everybody I think thought was on the upswing. For, this was year three. He's coming off two back-to-back winning seasons. They won 10 games last year, nine games this year. It feels like that's a team that, you know, if they get the quarterback situation fixed, whether that's Tua improves or whether, that, whether that's they make an external move, it's a team that could be, like, pretty dangerous. And yet, you know, I think if you if you'd go if you'd have gone around the league with the, the fan bases of the league, you know, on Sunday and say like, you know, and, and do a poll of like, how good do you feel about your coach? I think Miami fans would have been like pretty high up there. Of like, we feel pretty damn good about Brian Flores as our coach. And then we get the stunner on Monday morning that he's out of there. So that to me is is by far the most surprising. Is there? I mean, you disagree on that? I don't disagree. I, I think Brian Flores is the most surprising, although I do think that you skipped over Vic Fangio a little quickly. The Broncos traded Von Miller pretty early in the season. Yeah. And were pretty damn competitive. I mean, they got some good wins. They beat, they thrashed the Cowboys, thrashed them, like destroyed them. They also thrashed the Chargers 28 to 13. Yeah. Now, granted, they finished pretty poorly, right? They like, they got hit hard by the Eagles, the Bengals. Oh, the Bengals game, they only lost by five. They lost to the Raiders by four. They lost to the Chiefs by four. It's, it's not to say that they had a great season, but considering what they lost and what they had without a real quarterback, Jerry Judy was out for a while. Von Miller's not even there. I think they did a pretty damn good job. And I think Vic Fangio is a better coach than what the record of his teams show. And I would be happy if I'm, you know, even Miami, like I think he'd be a great coach over there. There's a, they have a great defense over there. It's a kind of a similar fit to what they had in Denver. I I'm, I'm a little surprised they let him go, but far and away, Brian Flores finishing the year eight and one and not getting the job. I mean, what, what do you want? (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely more to the story than we know going on there, but so you've got those five teams plus Jacksonville, who had Daryl Bevel as the interim coach, obviously, after Urban Meyer firing, and Vegas, who, I mean, they've got a playoff spot now with Rich Bisacci as the interim taking over for Gruden. So who knows if that, you know, he may just get that job, but he still has the interim tag right now. So you've got seven teams, Bobby, theoretically, at least five, or really at least six, maybe seven, that'll be looking for a new coach for next season. You just talked about the job that Vic Fangio did in Denver. So do you think Denver is the best situation of these teams like that, that a coach would want to go into? I think Denver, as most do, is missing a quarterback. So if you're a coach interviewing for that job and you speak to the general manager and he tells you, we're getting a guy, then yes, it's the best. It's only situ- that easy, but <laughs> it's, it's the best situation to go into if they can get a quarterback. If not, coaching in Jacksonville is pretty oh appealing. Oh, boy. You got a guy like Trevor Lawrence. So yes. that speaks for itself. Okay. Generational prospect. Generational prospect. Travis Etienne is coming back. Yeah. They have the number one overall pick again. Yes. There's a lot to like there. There's a lot to like. They're not saying that it's going to be winning immediately, but – if they went, what did they win this? They won uh, three games this year. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, was it two or three? Two or three. If they jumped from two or three to seven or eight next year, I wouldn't be shocked. I like. There's there's a lot to like there. It doesn't mean it'll work out, but I think it's a really enticing coaching job. Yeah, it's more. It's almost a question of like, would you rather go somewhere with lower expectations or higher expectations? Cause I agree mm-hmm. with you, Jacksonville, mm-hmm. the expectations are so low right now. Like they just had this urban Meyer debacle. They won, like we just mentioned, whatever it was two or three games. If you come in there next year and you win six games, you go six and 11, like they're going to be excited, right? People are going to think like, wow, you yep. did a really good job as opposed to like, yeah, you take, for example, like the Minnesota job, Minnesota has been 
pretty competitive for the last five years, right? They're always either like on the, in the back end of the playoffs or right on the outside looking in. It's pretty good roster. Obviously like their defense is generally this year wasn't as great, but they do have, they've still got, you know, Daniel Hunter and Harrison Smith on that side of the ball. Obviously Justin Jefferson is a stud. Dalvin cooks a stud. And it's like Kirk cousins. Like, I mean, he's good. He's, but we know what he is at this point. Like he's not, he's not getting any better at this point than he, than he already is. Right. So it's like, you go there and win nine, 10 games, you know, 10, I guess would be good. But like you win nine games next year. It's like, all right, you basically just did exactly what Mike Zimmer's essentially been doing for the last five years. It's not really much growth. And the, and the same thing could be said about Miami. Now the thing with Miami, you know, Miami and Denver are very similar in that Miami was better this year, but they're teams that they have good defenses, very good defenses, good skill position players, you know, in, in Miami, Jalen Waddle, obviously very good. Devon, I mean, maybe not as good as Denver's, but Devontae Parker can play. That's what I'm saying. Big Fangio going to Miami. I'm right. Saying. And Denver obviously is Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton nope. and Noah Fant nope. and Javante Williams, but they're both just missing the quarterback right now. Miami might be closer to, to having one to a, I mean, they just spent a high draft pick on it, pen, high draft pick on him. Who knows? Maybe this is the year they make the trade for Deshaun Watson. Denver is certainly farther away in that respect because Bridgewater is definitely not that guy. Like there's maybe a, you know, even if you're low on Tua, there's like a 10% chance he could, you know, evolve into like a pretty good quarterback. Bridgewater is what he is. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, t- yeah. It's like Denver, you're, you're, you're right. If the GM could just magically like wave a wand and be like, <laughs> and I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers, because I think that's kind of a pipe dream at this Russell point. Russell Wilson. Right. Russell Wilson. Or even if it's just like, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're confident that this player X in this year's draft is going to be like really good. And if you feel that same way, then like, that's a great job to take. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's hard. You know, this is the tough thing about figuring out how to build a team in the NFL. Do you build it like kind of how Denver's done it, which is they built all the surrounding pieces. It's a great like framework around this one giant hole at the biggest, you know, the most important position in in maybe all sports. Or do you try to do it the other way? Kind of like how Jacksonville is doing it, which is like, okay, we just drafted this guy. He's a generational prospect and we're going to co- try to fill the roster out around him. I don't know. I don't know if there's a right way to do it or not, but they're both, those are both intriguing jobs. I would say for, for very different reasons. Let's take a, a quick switch, Jared, and go mm-hmm. to the hardwood, a real feel good story. Clay Thompson, who hasn't played since 2019 back when Chris Paul was with the Rockets, Russell Westbrook was still with OKC and he comes back on the floor and I don't know, looks as good as ever, but he looked good. It was just real fun to see him play. I mean, did you not love seeing him just like first play, kind of run a hook at the top of the key and just like float it? I mean, that was, man. Yeah. He he also had that dunk where he came down. I got real scared that he was going to hurt himself again, but it was, it was so fun. It was cool to see. It's like, we, you know, we spend so much time talking about and watching these sports that, and sometimes you see it looks like the guys that we spend so much time analyzing just don't care to be there. And it like makes it less fun for us. And, you know, that's why you don't like some of these guys. Clay Thompson, you could see, first of all, I mean, we knew this before he got hurt, like how much he enjoys playing the game and how fun he is to watch. But you could see how much it meant to him to be back on the floor after I think I saw it was like 900 Is that possible? It could have been 900 days. That, no, that can't be right. But. <laughs> It had just been such a long time since he'd been out on that floor. It feels like years. It has been really years since we last saw him. And you could see how much it meant to him, like on the bench being, you know, getting into that mode during the intros. It was really cool to see. And, you know, it's pretty, what's even cooler about the story is he's not returning to the Warriors team of, you know, last year that was like bad, right? A team that like didn't actually have a, you know, maybe eight seed kind of thing. Maybe we get into playing game at the playing tournament and, and, you know, have some fun a good team a really really good team and they're getting back a really really good player and time will tell time if he's going to be able to get back to the player you know the level that he was because don't forget it's not just that he's a tremendous shooter because i don't think there's any question that's not going to go away right he didn't forget how to shoot over the last whatever it's been two years since we saw him Mm -hmm. but he was a great defender an absolutely great one-on-one defender one of the best in the league which really wasn't talked about a lot before and who knows? I mean, you're, you're coming off of two major injuries. We'll see if he can get back to that same level, then this team might go back, right. Might, you know, once again, be the favorite to win the whole thing. 
Finally, Bobby, let's close it out with some baseball news, surprisingly, even in the midst of the lockout. The Yankees did something pretty cool this week, which pains me to say. I know pains you as well, but they hired Rachel Balkovec. I Forgive me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but she becomes the first woman to manage in the professional baseball, essentially, right? The minors have never been one of the majors. She is now the manager of the Yankees low A club, Bobby. What do you think about What did you think when you saw that the Yankees had done that? Surprised. Um, only because, you know, you're, you're talking about somebody for whom has never played in major league baseball. It's never happened. So you're talking about like, okay, what, what are the credentials? But she was the hitting coach before this. And clearly yeah. she did a good enough job there to be able to be promoted to manager i think it's awesome i'm happy for her i am interested to see i'd love to go back and, and i don't even know if this data exists but i'd love to see like the numbers on that team's hitting last year yeah and the year before that and like see what the progression was but clearly the yankees see something in her uh who am i to say that they do anything wrong uh, i don't like them but they run a pretty damn good organization <laughs> so Hats off to Rachel. That's that's an awesome story. Bobby, we haven't done a chatter up countdown in a while, so this feels like a good time to bring it back, especially in light of what we talked about and what did I miss? Brandon Staley's absolutely egregious decision not to take the time out but to go for it on fourth and one at his own 18 yard line down three points, three, not 30 in the third quarter with nine minutes to go. It was a decision that honestly, it only makes sense to do in Madden when you're just tired of playing and you're like, I don't care anymore. I just want to be crazy. There is literally not a scenario that I can think of where it would ever make sense to go on fourth down from your own 18 yard line when it's a one possession game in the third quarter. It's just absolutely asinine. One of the worst coaching decisions I've ever seen. And like Mm. we've talked about, it was ultimately the margin of defeat there, which got us thinking about what are the absolute worst coaching decisions that we can remember of the last 20 years, Bobby Brandon Staley maybe deserves to be on this list, but we cut him some slack because this was not a playoff game and not a championship game. So let's talk about the other ones, Bobby, starting with number five, there's only one person on this podcast qualified to talk about this. Let me just introduce it. That would be the 2016 American league wildcard game. Bobby, the floor is yours. Buck Showalter is a great man. And you, sir, manager. have a great manager coming into your franchise that, if it's not the Orioles, hopefully will win you a World Series because he certainly deserves it. And 2016 was the final year of his magical run of success with the Orioles. Orioles make the wild card, and we play in Toronto. Game's going back and forth, winds up being tied. And we got Zach Britton, who at the time was arguably the best closer in baseball. Or I don't even the, think it's arguable. At least that season, he was absolutely the best closer, if not the best pitcher in baseball. He was just unhittable, right? You had a lefty coming out in the ninth to shut it down who had a sinker that just, I don't know how you ever hit that thing coming in at like 96 miles an hour. What was the area that you're 0.52 or something like that? It was, he was in the running for Cy Young Award, which okay, is crazy from a closer. And Buck, at the time, maybe it changed, but at the time was a very traditional manager. And if you're a traditional manager, your closer comes on to win the game. It's only in recent years that we've had the best reliever in the bullpen come in the most important time, whatever that may be, in the seventh or the eighth. 0.54, by the way, that was ZRA. There you go. So he goes several innings because the game is tied and brings on anybody but Zach Britton. And ultimately, I think it was the 11th. Maybe it was the 12th. There aren't many guys left in the bullpen. You got the best reliever in Zach Britton, and he brings on Ubaldo Jimenez. And I just... 
he gives up. I think he throws three pitches. <laughs> and on three pitches, Toronto laces two missiles to the outfield. It's first and third, nobody out. And Edwin Encarnacion comes up. I mean, I, I, I remember watching it and just thinking, there is a 0% chance he doesn't hit a homer. And on the first pitch, he just, I mean, a bomb, a bomb of epic proportions. And the Orioles lose. And remember, this is the wild card game. This is a winner take all. Yeah. They lose a winner take all game in extra innings with Zach Britton on the bench. If the Orioles make it to the division series, I'm not saying they would have won, but we've seen it happen. Like, who knows you what never happens know. at that point? Because once you're in, look at the 83 and 79 Cardinals who won the World Series. Once you're in, you're in. And we didn't even get our best chance to get in. In one of just, and don't get me wrong, I have nothing but fond memories of Buck, but that will live on in infamy forever as just a, an atrocious decision from a baseball manager. It's a shame, Bobby, that Buck Showalter has to be on this list. He's, you're right, he's a really good manager, but unfortunately for him, he has to be on it. That, that was the, you know, this year, reading Twitter when the Mets hired him, that was, of course, the one thing that was brought up the most. Of Like, if you, if you didn't like Buck Showalter, it was because of that decision in 2016, and I understand it. Bobby, we go from one team with Chris Davis to another team with a Chris Davis, number four on our list. We talked about Nick Saban earlier. He is arguably, and maybe it's not even arguable, the greatest college football coach in the history of yep in history. In I mean, history, just like the guy is, is, yeah, like period stop. But when you're around a long time, the way he has been, Bobby, you make some mistakes, maybe none bigger than in the 2013 Iron Bowl. Of course, the annual game between Alabama and Auburn, big rivalry game, Nick Saban, fourth quarter, game is tied. On the last play of the game, the clock hits zero, obviously. Saban challenges the play to have one second put back on the clock. And you're thinking, okay, I mean, seems like a waste. Why don't you just go to overtime, try to win it there? But you're thinking, all right, maybe they just want to throw up a Hail Mary. What's the worst that can happen? It gets picked off in the end zone. The guy's going to get not, not going to return for a touchdown anyway. Who cares? But that's not what he decides to do. He decides to send out his kicker, a redshirt freshman, to try a 57-yard field goal, leading to maybe the most exciting walk-off, quote-unquote, ending in the history of college football. The 57-yard kick is caught in the end zone by Auburn's Chris Davis, and then it just turns into a Madden play. You know in Madden when you have that and you're just like kind of, you know, you you outrun all the big guys. All you have to do is out, because it's all basically mm-hmm. offensive linemen mm-hmm. on the field, right, or, or defensive linemen, whatever it is. You just have to beat those guys down the sideline and you're fine. And that's exactly what happened. He returns it, whatever it was, 105, 106, I don't know, whatever it was, yards into the end zone. 109. 109 yards into the end zone for a touchdown. Auburn beats Alabama, Bobby. Like I said, Saban, one of, if not the greatest coach in the history of college football, not his finest moment that day. A brutal decision from him to challenge that with 50, I mean, a 57 yard field goal with a, I mean, no, this, it's just, it's just, it's just not Especially a call like in college, make. like in, in the NFL, 57 is tough, but you see it happen every so like for the really good kickers in yep. college. When do you ever see college kickers make 57 yard field goals? I, it, it almost never happens. Like I can't even think of an instance where yeah. that happened. It's a, a terrible decision. And again, it doesn't take away from his legacy, but. Just an awful decision, which leads us, Jared, to number three. Let's rewind the clock to 2003, shall we? And in 2003, the Boston Red Sox had not yet broken the curse of the Bambino. That was still a year away. Yeah. And they go to the ALCS, Jared. The Red Sox in the ALCS, of course, we all remember they faced the Yankees. Their hated rivals. Hated, hated rivals. Game seven, Red Sox are up 5-2 in the bottom of the eighth. So you're talking about six outs away from making the World Series and breaking the curse. 
And probably everybody at the time is like, well, something terrible is going to happen. And something terrible did. Pedro Martinez had already been pitching the game, pitched pretty well, but was clearly running on fumes, was over the century mark on pitches at a time where you can't really afford to mess this up, right? Like this isn't like, oh, you know, Edwin Jackson going 145 pitches to get a no hitter. Like this is to go to the World Series. They leave him in. And by they, I mean Grady Little. The, the manager of the Red Sox leaves in Pedro Martinez. And then it is a disaster. All hell breaks he, loose. he allows consecutive hits to four of the five, four of the first five Yankees. They tie the game. And then we all know how this ends. Aaron Boone. Aaron bleeping Boone. With a bomb down the left field sideline, left field side, down the left field pole. It hooks in. They walk it off off of Tim Wakefield's knuckleball. And that's it. And you just, you got to wonder, what was he thinking? You know, I, I granted, look, Pedro had won 14 games that year. Yeah. And he led the American League in ERA. And he's your best pitcher. And you and I have also talked about this, about like leaving the guys in there mm-hmm. to gut it out. Five to two. Yankees can hit, man. <laughs> they yes. had Bernie Williams. They had Derek Jeter. Like, this is a good team. And your guy's clearly already in the seventh inning running on fumes. You have to know better than to throw him back out there and send him to the Wolves. And then, you know, four of the five, first five Yankees get hits. After, like, two of them, you got to think to yourself, yes. well, this is not working. And he just kept going out there, just an atrocious blunder in one of the most important games in Boston's history. Yeah, this one has like the most historical context, probably of all of them, even though it's not a championship game, because you have to factor in the history here of like you mentioned, the curse of the Bambino and how beaten down Red Sox fans had learned to be essentially like always losing to the Yankees in these big moments. And I mean, I could still see it in my head that freaking Jorge Posada blue double to tie yep, it. And yep. Pedro is one of the best pitchers of all time, period, stop. But he was at a point in his career. First of all, he, he, he used to dominate the Yankees. And then that, that slowly started to turn towards the end of his Red Sox tenure where the Yankees used to hit him pretty good. And he's into the eighth inning. It was a, it was a time where it was just known at the time. Like once he gets up around the 100 pitch mark, You've got to get him out of there. It's and 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 you know to a degree, understand what Grady Little was doing, which is where it's like, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down with my best. But oh boy, I mean, the historical context of it, like, I and I'm not even a Red Sox fan, but but both me and you, like, we're always rooting for the Yankees to lose. Always. I was so gutted when Boone hit that home run. I'm like, how the hell did it happen? Now, of course, next year the fortunes were reversed with the Red Sox winning Game Seven, and of course, going on to beat the Cardinals in the World Series and shatter the curse of the Bambino. But in the moment, my God, it was, it was an appalling decision at the time. Even in hindsight, knowing they won the World Series next year, the next year remains an appalling decision, Bobby. But not as bad as number two on this list. Unlike Grady Little, this coach is like Nick Saban, one of the best to ever do it in his sport. And that is Greg Popovich, a man who has won numerous, not just one, multiple titles with the San Antonio Spurs. But not in 2013, Bobby, although maybe he should have won. And that's because game six, 2013, the Spurs, well on their way to closing out what looked to be another win in the NBA Finals, another crown for Duncan and Popovich and Ginobili and Parker. But one man got in the way, Bobby. Mr. Raymond Allen, of course, hitting a three that we all remember off of a rebound, Chris Bosch gets the rebound, dishes it off to Ray Allen in the corner, who somehow has the presence of mind to like take that little step back, launch the three, tie the game, it goes to overtime, the Heat win, they go on to win game seven, Bobby. But so what's the bad, what's the bad coaching decision and all that? Ray Allen hit a three, what can you do? Well, Bobby, a certain seven-foot San Antonio spur from the Virgin Islands, a guy who will go down as one of the 15, if not one of the 10 best players of all time, a guy pretty good throughout his career for getting rebounds. You'd think he'd be on the floor at that point, right? I mean, the one thing you need to do is get a freaking rebound. If there's a rebound opportunity, it needs to be gotten by Tim Duncan. Curiously, 
Tim Duncan not in the game. Who knows what happens if he's in there? Does Chris Bosh get the rebound? Maybe, maybe not. Does he, is he able to dish it off to Ray Allen? Maybe, maybe not. Does Ray Allen ever get a chance to even take that three? Maybe, maybe not. Does it get to game seven? Who knows? Could have been another championship for the Spurs. This arguably cost them the chance to win the chip. Now, again, this is kind of like the Red Sox because they go back the next year and they beat Miami and win that championship. So it kind of softens the blow, right? And obviously Popovich, unlike Grady Little, had this had an enormous success before this. So it's not like, you know, even if they hadn't won the next year, no one's going to be like, wow, Popovich, one of the worst coaches ever. Like it would not have stained his legacy in the same way that it did for Grady Little. But still, it's got to be number two because you could argue this cost, unlike the three that we talked about before this, this was in the ultimate, you know, the, the championship. This could, this arguably cost them a championship. I still don't understand. How do you not have a guy? <laughs> we're not talking about like Chris Paul, a guard here. We're talking about seven footer, one of the best of all time. When you need to get a rebound, how could that guy not be on the floor? And I think this also had like huge implications for legacies. You're talking about Ginobili, Duncan and Parker who could have had another championship to their name and add that to that legacy. And then you're also talking about if they win, LeBron only wins one championship in four years after creating Bosch, Wade, and LeBron. How different do we look at that tenure if he only wins it once? I don't know. I don't know. Also, does it change him going to Cleveland, right? Does he stay in Miami to try and like win more? I don't know. And maybe nothing changes. Maybe it plays out the exact same way, but there's a lot of possibilities that happen if they don't win that game and win the, the NBA finals that year. So a, 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 an atrocity of, of coaching from an otherwise brilliant coach, but one that cost him a championship on one play. And speaking of championships being costed on one play, if you've been listening to this point, you should know what number one is. Yep. Number one, we should go back, Jared, to the 2015 Super Bowl. The New England Patriots, led by Thomas Brady, faced the Russell Wilson-led Seattle Seahawks. Really, ultimately, one of the better Super Bowls ever. Like, a a really, really, really good game. Very entertaining. We're going to fast forward to about six and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Seattle Seahawks are up 24-21. Brady gets the ball. You know what's going to happen. Drives down the field. And with two minutes left, he scores the touchdown. They're up 28-24. Seahawks get the ball. And then, man, it it still hurts for me to talk about this. It's just like, (laughs) it's, it's, it's tough. They get the ball. They drive all the way down. And they get down there with a minute and five left. Of, of, of regulation. And I remember, I don't know if you're going to get to this, that Jermaine curse catch, which goes down as like, the, it's like the Andy Chavez catch, right? Where it was like this incredible catch down the sideline. He's falling down. The ball's bouncing all over, somehow pulls it in. Had they ended up winning, it would go down as like one of the best catches of all time. And now nobody remembers it in the same way as Andy Chavez because of what you're about to talk about. It's so crazy. Cause like, I, <laughs> I remember that. I remember that happening, but it was going to elude me. I wasn't even going to talk about it and yeah. like what could have been. So they decide that they have Marshawn Lynch, who's one of the most bruising backs ever. That's the whole game. They're on the one yard line. We all know what's happening. Like they run the clock down. Oh my God. They run the clock down to 26 seconds. On the one yard line, I, it, it's 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 second down. I think on the one, what do you, like you give the ball to Marshawn Lynch, and instead, Pete Carroll calls a pass play, and Russell Wilson throws it to Curse, I believe, and Malcolm Butler undercuts him, intercepts the ball in the end zone, and every single person in that stadium including Tom Brady is stunned just in the most improbable situation. The Seattle Seahawks blow it. I, 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 yeah. I, 
I can't, I still can't fathom that. You know, it's like, even to this day, if it's like fourth and one and you have a running back, that's that good. I'm like, all right, just, just, just punch it in. Just go just like running with the guy. Like, what are you doing? And it wasn't even a play action where they were like faking the run. He, he right, just like right. threw like, and not a throw, like, you know, maybe try a fade to the back of the end zone, like a safe kind of throw. It was a throw into traffic, like at the one yard line. Like, you know, sometimes the best way to make play calls is to think like, what is the other team? Like, what do they want me to do? What would they be most annoyed at me doing? And if you ask anyone on the Patriots sideline or even the Patriots fans, like, what do you not want to happen here? It's a handoff to Marshawn Lynch, right? Like when they saw Wilson dropping back to pass, it's like, okay, great. Like something, maybe something good will happen here. And obviously it did. And it was so, it's still shocking to see Bobby because it's like, it's like, you know, we've talked about the Yahoo fantasy football projections. Like Seahawks were at like 99% in real life, right? Like you're at the freaking one yard line with 20 seconds to go. And it just happens so fast. Unlike some of these other ones, like, you know, Buck, the, the Orioles 2016 wildcard, it's, it's playing out over a number of batters and like, you're watching it happen. You know, you know, what's going to happen almost. Grady Little, same kind of thing. It's like death by paper cuts. Nick Saban, even like, yeah, it's one play, but like, you know, it, you have to, you're, you're watching this guy run all across the field till you finally mm-hmm. realize it's going to be a touchdown. With this, it's like Wilson drops back to pass, he throws it. And before you even realize what happened, you see Malcolm Butler like jumping up and down with the ball. And you're like, what, what what's happening? What's going mm-hmm. on here? You know what I mean? And it's it was just, literally unbelievable. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I, they, you know, I've still never really heard a good explanation for like why, you know, it, it's, it's one of those where it's like you take analytics out of it. I don't want to hear about numbers. I don't want to hear about like what the computer says to do. Sometimes you just have to like be in real life and know like, yeah, I'm at the one yard line. I have the guy, my running back is probably the hardest running back in the league to tackle as we'd seen many times before. I don't want, I don't care what his, percentage and on goal line situations was before that i don't care if russell wilson had never thrown a pick in the red zone or you know it doesn't matter you just go with you keep it simple you go with the thing that the other team does not want to see you do Pete carroll tried to get smart they didn't do it and it cost them a championship it literally it's not like the the spurs because the spurs came back for game seven right like it could all have been written yep. off yep. if they win game seven this is literally one play cost you a championship i'll give myself a quick uh just a just a uh admit a quick mistake it wasn't curse it was ricardo lockett who ran the slant but either way just in a disaster but does it get better than that man i mean i feel great now just reliving all of those that makes me feel so good (laughs) at least it wasn't us making those calls jared we mentioned at the beginning that we were going for it on fourth down And unlike Mr. Staley, we hit. And we always hit. Just like next week, we're going to hit again. It's going to be something you're going to want to hear. Come back next week. We got more for you. We're never going to miss. Like LeVar Ball said, Bobby, we never lose. We've been winning for 87 straight weeks now. That will continue next week. And come along for the ride. Join us on this winning journey. Rate, review, subscribe, continue to listen. And I'm watching Bobby right now, Wikipedia curling, and look at curling statistics. So if you don't want us to talk about that, and please, God, I really don't want to have to talk about that. Please hit us up with other suggestions so that we can get that on the back burner and never mention curling again. Hopefully, we won't be talking about curling. But if we are, either way, we'll see you all next week with the next Chatter Up.